Welcome to Council for Unplugged, the podcast of our Council for AFSCME Union. We are proud to represent 30,000 public and private employees across Connecticut. I'm Renee Hamill, Council for Communications, and alongside me is my co-host and communications colleague, Lauren Tacores. How are you, Lauren? Doing fine. Thank you, Renee. Wonderful. I'm glad that you're here with us today. We have a special guest with us, Denise Merrill, who is the former Connecticut Secretary of State and served for a decade overseeing our state's elections program. Two years ago, she was our guest, and we discussed absentee voting during the pandemic, and now she's back to tell us about early voting, which will appear as a ballot question when we go to the polls on November 8th. Thank you so much for joining us, Denise. We're happy to have you back. Thank you. My great pleasure to be back. (laughs) So uh, we're going to get right to it. Lauren, you want to start us off? Yes. uh, The election is a month away, and elections are an important time for us. We use our voice to elect candidates. We want to represent us. But this election is especially important because voters also will decide on whether to allow the the state legislature to provide the means for early voting. Uh, Can you explain to us what early voting is and how it got on the ballot. Certainly. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here. And I I just want to take this opportunity to say how important the union vote is to our elections. Uh, These are working people. You said 30,000 members. That's amazing. And in Connecticut, it's a very important voice that needs to be heard. So I'm glad we're having this conversation today. Me too. Yes, early voting. So this will be a question on the ballot. And um, early voting simply means that you will have more days besides Tuesday to vote in person. Important to remember, this is not about absentee ballots. Uh, So this would just allow Connecticut to join the 46 other states that already have some form of other days besides Tuesday to vote. Um, And It was more difficult to get this passed in Connecticut. Uh, The legislature is the one, they are the ones that will decide exactly what early voting would look like. Uh, So this simply allows us to go forward in case we want to do early voting. Uh, Most other states have had it for many, many years. uh, So there's lots of models to look at. But um, I think it's just important for people to understand all this does is it creates a way that we can also join those other states. In our state, the language about you have to vote only on Tuesday in November is in our state constitution. And that's been the barrier to getting this on the ballot because it's a long process to change the state constitution. It's taken us years to get it on the ballot. I'm thrilled that it's finally there and that the people of Connecticut can express their voice about whether they want more days and making it more convenient for them to vote. Right, right. So um, I know that it's a lot of effort that it takes to get the word out about this ballot question that's going to be coming to us on November 8th. So tell us about some of the efforts that are underway in, in the office of the Secretary of State, but also community groups to get the word out about early voting. Yes, it is true. Um, the office of the Secretary of State does have an effort involved to educate the public because generally when someone sees a question on a ballot that they don't understand, their tendency is to not vote at all. Uh, And that's why the most important thing is to explain to people what is actually on the ballot. And it will simply say, should Connecticut allow more days of voting for 
uh, for citizens. And that's, uh, I don't have the exact wording with me, but that's the basic gist of it. Um, so our effort is simply to educate the public. Uh, and there are numerous advocacy groups that work on this. The League of Women Voters has made it their top priority, uh, Common Cause, many of the good government groups, but also the unions have joined in in our effort to get people to understand that this is a way to increase access to voting. You know, we all know sometimes, especially presidential elections, there are long lines at the polls because Tuesday is the only day between, you know, six in the morning and eight at night that you can come in and vote. And I think people, you know, when we do polling, something like 85% of the public across the boards, Democrats, Republicans, unaffiliates, they want this. They think it's a good idea to have perhaps, you know, another few days or a week or whatever model we choose to be able to come in and vote. Because who can stand in a two-hour line to vote? Almost no one, especially working people. You're not going to take time off. And by the way, I think election day should be a holiday, but it is not. <laughs> so many people have trouble. Uh, we think this is primarily helpful for like the elderly. We saw a lot of problems with people getting to the poll, especially during the pandemic. Well, those exceptions for absentee ballots are not with us anymore. So now people are going to have to go to the polls, by and large, unless they're going to be out of town. Uh, so that is very helpful particularly for the elderly, to have more days where they can go to vote. They won't have to stand in a long line, theoretically, because you're going to have more days that the voting spread out. And of course, I hope it will increase participation because more people won't, you know, get there, look at the line and say, I can't do that. You know, I have to go back to work or whatever. And I, I need childcare, whatever the issue is. So I especially think this is very important for people just to increase their access to being able to vote. It's every person's right. And it's our job to make sure it's possible for every single citizen. Thank you for that insight. Um, now, Connecticut is one of only four states that does not allow some form of early voting. In other states where the law was changed, what changed? Um, and did those changes increase early voting? Did people want it and did they use it? Absolutely. Great question. Um, you know, I always say we're one of four states and the other three are Alabama, Mississippi, and New Hampshire at this point. So not great company to be keeping in my view. Uh, um, and, and it's in many states, as I said, it's been in place for a number of years. And most people know about it because of Texas. Everyone always says, wow, in Texas, they're already voting. And I think they are right now because they have 30 days of early voting. Wow. You can go in in person anytime in those 30 days to very limited, you don't have to open every polling place. I think they go to town hall or something in Texas and you go in and vote. And it's increased their participation. But see, people see this on television and they think, well, why don't we have that? I think that's the, gen the reaction I most often get is, why, are we, why can't we do that? And that's the question we're trying to answer. Um, but I think people also see that there are lots, of, there literally were a third of the American voting public voted early in the last presidential election in 2020. That's millions of people are already doing this. Um, and so I, I think it is not a stretch to say we ought to join the rest of this country <laughs> in doing this. It's about time. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I know when people are seeing that we're still, we still haven't changed the, the Constitution to allow for early voting, I'm sure they're being reaffirmed that Connecticut is the land of steady habits, and we take a long time to change things. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Although I should mention, the vote in the legislature was very bipartisan on the issue of early voting. This was not just a Democrat or Republican thing. It's, it's really for all voters. Yeah, definitely. And you said that um, a large a large uh, percentage of the public want this. Yes. Um, but we saw during the pandemic that it really changed the way we normally vote in Connecticut. It was the first time that we saw a large number of people who voted by absentee ballot. And I think it opened up a way for them to become familiar with voting in other ways than they were normally used to. Do you think that us being familiar with absentee voting was a first step in having us think more about other ways we could vote. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, for many years, this was actually on the ballot in 2014, and it did not pass because a lot of people just didn't vote for it either way. I think it's time has come. There's so much uh, conversation at the national level about elections and how they're held in other states. And yes, I think the pandemic definitely made people see, gee, this is great. You know, they loved most of the public loved the absentee balloting uh, because they could stay home. They didn't have to risk their health. And we kept saying no one should have to risk their health to be able to exercise their right to vote. Uh, so I, it did. You're exactly right. It opened up their eyes to, well, gee, maybe this could work in different ways that are that are better for the public. Yeah. And as you were saying about we only have, you know, from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on one day for everybody to get out there to vote. And it is very difficult. We talk to union members on the doors and we always ask them what your what is your plan to vote yeah. on Election Day? Because unless people are thinking about it and scheduling it out, it's really hard for people to get there, especially right. like you said, people are holding different jobs. People have child care, right. elderly may need to try and try to find transportation. So. I think this would be a great initiative for to expand people's participation and voting on that day. Yeah, and speaking of uh, a plan to vote, people can go online to the Secretary of the State's website and view their sample ballots. So they can see what candidates are running, they can see what races are happening this year, and they can read the, the text of the ballot measure as well. Yes, that's right. And I always encourage everyone to go on that site and just check your registration. Make sure it's correct, because sometimes there are errors, clerical errors. And, you know, uh, you should just go there and uh, look at the ballots. Yeah, you're right for your town. Uh, everyone's a little different. Sometimes this ballot question is going to be on the flip side of the ballot, which is another thing we have to remind people that turn it over, make sure you're seeing the whole ballot. Uh, now that's only in some towns that have other questions on the ballot. That's another little funny thing about Connecticut elections. Every town has a different ballot. <laughs> this was It was not easy to administer elections in Connecticut in some ways, although in the end, I think it's great that it's so um, decentralized. Um, I came to that late that idea late because initially I was like, why don't we have regional voting? But you know, I think in some ways having every one of 169 towns being administering that election at a local level makes it really difficult to understand how anyone could think that it could be manipulated in some way. <laughs> you know, right. there's been all this talk about oh, the fraud in elections. Well, you know what? 
You know who's running your election at the local level are two people, one from each of the major parties who, you know, cross check each other. There's so many checks and balances in elections. And, you know, if you have questions, go go down to the polls and volunteer to be someone. I thought it was interesting when we talked about your experience in Hartford. You said you were a, what a moderator. Yeah, I was a moderator for a polling site at Buckley High School in Hartford. Yeah. And that day, I learned so much about voting that day because it was, there was a lot of barriers that I saw. There were um, people that would come in, they had visual impairment, so it was hard for them to fill in a bubble or physical disabilities. Um, There's obviously language barriers. Um, Somebody voted and they said, can you call an ambulance for me? I have to go to the hospital right now. Um, and there's also long out lines, and I has, had to see people leave because they just didn't have enough time exactly. to stand in line and, and to cast their, their ballot. Yeah, vote. there you go. So these are all the reasons that we are uh, mounting this effort to make sure that people have every opportunity to vote that they deserve. Yes, and... Um, we talked about encouraging union members and voters in general to check voter registration, view the sample ballot, have a plan to vote. Uh, what can union members do to help this measure get passed on the ballot and in the legislature? We need every person to be helping us on this effort. The biggest barrier to getting this passed is that people don't know about it. We need public education. One way that would be very helpful would be to do some poll standing in some of the key precincts and and take, we have literature drawn up that just simply explains what this vote yes on early voting effort is about. And uh, that would be very helpful if they would, you know, just go volunteer to be a poll stander and hand out these little flyers, because just as people are going in to vote, that's when they're thinking about this. And that could make a huge difference in whether people understand what they're voting on. uh, And that that will encourage them to vote yes or no on the question, hopefully yes. So I'm going to read the question that is going to be on the ballot. Oh, great. The question uh, (laughs) reads, shall the Constitution of the state be amended to permit the General Assembly to provide for early voting? So that is the question we want you to answer. Yes. Yes. And we want all the listeners to encourage uh, their neighbors, their family, their friends, their fellow co-workers to go out and vote yes for that question. Right. Exactly. Vote yes for early voting. Yes. (laughs) So uh, thank you, Denise, for joining us. Uh, Connecticut is so lucky to have you as a steady, passionate, impactful leader who was spearheading uh, not only this effort, but all of our election programs for more than a decade. Um, So thank you so much for being here and um, for everything that you've done for helping us be able to expand voter rights and voter participation in Connecticut. Well, thank you so much. And a big thank you to ask me and all your members for everything they've done for me to help me do these things over all these years. Thank you so much. Um, in our next segment, we will be joined by Council 4's People Committee Chair, Stephen Warbicki, and Council 4's Legislative and Political Director, Zach Levy. Uh, they will talk to us about the importance of member political engagement. Welcome back to Council 4 Unplugged, the podcast of our Council 4 AFSCME Union. I'm Lauren Tacoris. For part two of our podcast, I'm with Zach Levy, Council 4 Legislative and Political Director, and Stephen Werbicki, Chair of Council 4's People Committee. Welcome to the podcast, Zach and Steve. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Happy to be here. 
Now, the election is less than a month away. So I'm happy you're here to talk about how Council 4 members are active and energized this election season and making an impact. First, let's go over who's up for election this year, Zach. Well, all the state constitutional offices are up for election. That, that is the governor, lieutenant governor, uh, comptroller, secretary of the state, treasurer, and attorney general. We also have uh, one U.S. Senate race uh, being held. The Richard Blumenthal seat is being contested. And all five congressional districts are up for election this year across our state. Uh, Plus, what is important for state and municipal employees, the state's entire legislature is up up for election, including uh, many municipal probate judge positions. So this is a uh, critical midterm election. Thank you. Steve, uh, can you please explain what the People Committee is and the process for endorsing candidates, which is something that happens during every election season? Sure. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, The People Committee stands for Public Employees Organized to Promote Legislative Equality. Um, I'm the chair of the People Committee for AFSCME Council 4 and uh, for the Statewide Committee and the CD1 Committee. Um, Basically, the process for endorsement is um, our uh, political uh, team, which uh, Zach Levy and Brian Anderson comprise, um, reaches out to to prospective candidates that um, are running for elected office and and lets them know that they can uh, fill out a questionnaire to um, uh, apply to be interviewed before our joint committee. And uh, once that process occurs, um, Zach and Brian uh, schedule the interviews, and then our people joint committee um, convenes to interview the prospective candidates. And we ask them a series of questions. Um, We go and uh, prior to the um, interviews, we review how they answer our questionnaire. There's 19 questions on there uh, for both um, state employee uh, union um, ideals and public uh, employee union ideals at the town municipal level. And um, then once we interview the candidates, we caucus, make recommendations for endorsement. Then from there, um, we convene the statewide steering committee of people. um, And then we review the recommendations of the joint committee. And then uh, the statewide steering committee makes endorsements uh, to the uh, AFSCME Council for delegate body in a meeting uh, here at Council for New Britain. Um, the process uh, is is very very uh, in depth. It, it's very detail oriented. We basically um, focus on pay, pension, health care, retirement security for all workers, and um, also a real say in the workplace. And um, our questionnaire uh, covers those issues as well as uh, other issues that are important. Yeah, the important thing about our process and our interviews is that it's a three-step process so that members have input every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, some organizations and executive board will make the endorsement or just leadership. Uh, for us, it's completely led by the membership. So at each step, from the people committee all the way to the statewide committee to the delegate body, members have an input and can make objections or support for any candidate that they see fit uh, throughout the process. So it takes a little longer than other unions' endorsements. Uh, but we think it's more valuable to have member input at each step. All right. So we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, October 12th. When are the endorsements due to be finalized? 
Oh, I'll take that. Yeah, sure. Um, we're convening our people uh, statewide steering committee tomorrow, believe it or not, on uh, the 13th. And then on the 14th of October, um, we're going to convene uh, a special delegates meeting uh, to make the recommendations for the delegate body to, uh, to vote on the endorsements that the people um, joint committee and statewide steering committee recommended. Okay. Yeah. Now, how many candidates were interviewed for this election? Uh, we interviewed about roughly 80 candidates, if you include uh, constitutional offices and state rep and senators altogether. Um, by the end, we inter we interviewed about 80. We made endorsements of about 70 to 75. Uh, those will all be uh, made publicly available right after our delegates vote on it on the 14th. And uh, I think we have a really strong slate of pro-worker, pro-union candidates uh, that we're going to work really hard to get elected over the next few weeks. I couldn't agree more, by the way. Um, I, I really thought that the process, we, we, we went through a lot of people and, and we did a lot of good work. The whole committee was really engaged. And as Zach said, um, it, it is a very democratic process in that uh, any union member can get involved, um, can do objections if they have any, and it, it's open. It's an open process, which is great. Great. Thank you for the information. Uh, Zach, can you tell me about the labor to labor program that's currently underway? How does it work and why is it important for union members to be involved in ensuring that labor friendly candidates are elected? Yeah, this is a incredibly important and comprehensive uh, program that the AFL-CIO puts together, where if you go to door knock for a, a candidate through their campaign, what you'll be doing is door knocking just the general public. They'll give you a list of Democrats, unaffiliated, and Republicans, and they tell you to go knock them. What this differentiates is that this is all member-to-member -member communication. So we are only talking to fellow union members or retirees, and we know that when union members talk to each other, it's much more effective than talking to the general public because they are able to share stories, they are able to share the commonalities they have with each other, the issues they face, and really talk about why these candidates will support union issues, workers' rights, and really benefits for all workers, not just union members. Uh, so it's really important for union members to take part in these conversations and get out there because we know it's so effective in getting our message and educating uh, the, and educating fellow union members about what is at stake at this election, what these candidates stand for, and what this is all about, which we really need to get right because we have had legislatures in the past uh, that have been anti-worker or have been a anti-union majority, and we've seen some bad things happen from that. Bad budgets get passed uh, just this past legislative cycle, we had to have all 35 of the CBAC contracts voted on because of a law that was passed in 2017 when we had an 1818 Senate and a conservative operating majority in the House. So we know what it looks like when we get it wrong. So it's really important that we get this right and that we have a legislature and statewide officials uh, that will really support us, back us up. And that's what these conversations are about, letting these people know these are the people that have our backs. They went through this endorsement process, and now it's time for us to do what unions do best, which is feet on the ground, boots in the street, knocking doors, having these conversations, and really making sure that union members are well-educated on their vote and why they are going to vote for a certain person. Great. Uh, now, these walks are being coordinated by the Connecticut AFL-CIO. That's correct, and they are held every Saturday uh, in different areas across the state. They have some targeted districts uh, across the state that they focus on uh, from now until November uh, 6th. Actually, the Sunday before the last election is the last 
labor to labor door knock, but typically they happen Saturdays from 9 a.m. Uh, to 12 p.m. And uh, I know for some people this can be a little intimidating going to knock doors, but it's a really great time where we come, we have bagels, we have coffee, uh, we all get to know each other a little bit. There's training put on by the AFL-CIO if they don't know, uh, if you don't know how to use things like minivan or you don't know or you're a little nervous about how to talk to people. And one of the things that's a huge advantage is if you bring someone new, uh, they can get paired with somebody who's done this before, who's been through an election cycle, two election cycles of knocking doors so that when they go out together, they can say, oh, let me show you how it's done. And then that person can learn it. And then the next time they knock, they can bring a new, they can teach a new person and everyone kind of learns from each other in this process. And uh, in this election, um, there could not be more at stake. We're, it's a midterm election, uh, which we know that the party in power always loses seats uh, in a midterm election. For us, that would be the Democrats. And uh, what this last, what this current legislature has done, have done things like pass paid family medical leave, raise the minimum wage, banning captive audience meetings, which will help union, which will help workers organize in a much easier and more protected manner. So that's what's at stake in this election. Um, you know, for state employees over the next four years, SEBAC. Uh, is going to be yes. coming up for renegotiation because that expires in 2027. So we want to make sure we have a governor that respects unions, respects the rights of workers, respects collective bargaining and the negotiation process. And if you want to have a state legislature that will approve that contract and pass it and make sure that these workers are protected. So that's really what's at stake in this election. Anything from privatization at the state and municipal level to arbitration timelines to how long a contract can be uh, in effect for. That is all the things that are at stake in this election. We see every year right to work uh, legislation being proposed. We see legislation being proposed to cap overtime in state employee pensions to move municipal employees to risky 401ks instead of the municipal employees retirement plan. Same thing uh, with state employees moving into a fully 401k program instead of the hybrid. Uh, so all of these things are at stake, not only in this election, but in every election, especially every statewide election where these officials are the ones that really get a say in what our lives are like outside of our collective bargaining agreements. Great. Now, the Connecticut AFL-CIO gave us a number of how many doors Council 4 members have hit so far. Yeah, we've hit about 650 doors uh, so far, which is really good because we get it, but your packet contains about 30 to 35 doors. So it really shows that we've been out there doing the work over these last few weeks, having a lot of people out there knocking doors. Uh, you know, 650 is a good start, uh, but it's certainly not an end. Uh, there's plenty more doors to knock over these next uh, at this point, about 28 days left until Election Day. So there's plenty of work to be done. Uh, I know Steve and myself will be out door knocking this Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, we hope to see some of you there. I don't know. This episode probably won't be out by that time. But by all means, uh, please look into Council 4's website uh, on our calendar to look for other labor walks that can be in your area, that can be close to you, uh, so that we can get out and really support these, these great candidates that we're trying to get elected. 
Thank you. So, Steve, yes. uh, what would you say to a member who has an interest in politics but is hesitant to attend a labor walk or participate in a phone bank? Well, what I would tell them, I would have a one-to-one conversation and, and just say, it, you know, it is not as intimidating as you may think it is. Um, I, I would be um, one of those mentors that Zach was mentioning earlier uh, because I, I am ex- experienced at doing labor walks. Uh, this will probably be like my sixth election cycle doing doing them. So um, I, I have I have done a lot of walks with a lot of my brothers and sisters in AFSCME. And I would tell them to, you know, not necessarily focus on policy, but on, on the essentials, the pay, pension, health care, retu- um, secure retirement, and a real say in the workplace, and, and, and emphasize that the candidates that AFSCME uh, and AFL-CIO are endorsing uphold all those values. And um, in our process, we, we vet everyone. We vet uh, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Green Party, um, whoever is for labor rights issues, civil rights issues, human rights issues, um, can come before our, our committee and, and, um, and get a, a fair uh, vetting and, and uh, seek our endorsement. So we are not uh, exclusive in any way. We're inclusive. But what I would tell uh, people that are reluctant is once you knock it, you're knocking union members. You're knocking their doors. So um, they uh, can respect the fact that, A, you're a union member, B, you're giving up uh, a Saturday or, or, or a weeknight uh, to do this and that you care. And um, so you're not going to get uh, many households, and I, I, I've experienced this personally, that are going to be belligerent to you or be um, not engaging with you. Um, and so that, that makes it easier for people to want to come out and, and do the, um, the labor walks. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate one thing uh, Steve mentioned that actually brought up a good point. Uh, two things, actually. First, I want to go back a little bit to the last question. I forgot to mention phone banks. Uh, AFSCME Council 4 will be holding phone banks every Wednesday from now until Election Day, uh, both at 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and four and 6, uh, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. every Wednesday at Council 4, where we'll be calling union members uh, to try to really make sure we contact as many as possible. Uh, a lot of times, you know, a union member will pick up. These aren't long calls. Uh, they're not 20, 30-minute calls. They're more like five-minute calls where you have a brief conversation. You get the point across. You ask them who they're going to support. They let you know or they don't let you know sometimes. <laughs> and then you just kind of move on from there and you move on to the next person. But uh, So the, for people that um, are a little hesitant or, or can't door knock, there are some members yeah. uh, that are just have limitations that prevent them from door knocking. Uh, this is another opportunity that you can have, that members have, to really be involved in our political process. But one thing Steve hit on uh, that I think is important is that what our endorsement uh, process is based on is pay, pension, retirement security, working conditions, things that uh, bind us. You know, there's so many issues out there that can divide our union, can divide our members, uh, can really tear us apart at the seams. And a lot of times uh, our corporate um, enemies, for lack of a better word, uh, really try to utilize these issues that to divide us, to say, oh, your union doesn't stand for this, whereas we stand for no, we stand for the rights of all all workers' pay, all workers' retirement, all workers' right. health care, because that way, uh, that's something we can all agree on. 
We all want to get paid well enough to support our families and have a comfortable life. We all want health care that covers the cost in case we get into any sort of catastrophic emergency or health emergency. And at the end of the day, we want to retire with dignity and we want to retire with security that we're not uh, upset about. And those things really bind us together and our ideas that our union members and all of us can really coalesce around. moving forward rather than focusing on issues where we might not have agreement, where we might, it might be emotional and people might have very strong feelings about it. Uh, It gives us the opportunity to say, yes, that's important. But the, the most important thing is being able to put food on the, on your table for your family, being able to retire with dignity and being able to have security in your health care. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Now the, the absentee ballot process, uh, to move on to a different topic, it looks different than in the past couple of years when people could use COVID as a reason for requesting an absentee ballot. Um, can you explain what's different this year and explain the process for uh, requesting and then turning in an absentee ballot? Yeah, absolutely. So anyone can get an absentee ballot uh, by... Uh, finding it online or by going what is probably uh, the easiest way is going right to your registrar's office because they'll give you the ballot right there once you fill out uh, the absentee application form. Uh, Absentee balloting in our state uh, is a little less restrictive than it used to be, uh, but still uh, more restrictive than other states have. Uh, For example, uh, some of you may remember from 2020 or 2021 election uh, that we were allowed to vote uh, by absentee because of COVID-19. They have taken that direct uh, reason away. However, sickness may prevent you from voting in person. So you're still able to get an absentee ballot by that way. And COVID can be considered under uh, sickness. Uh, Some other things where you can get an absentee ballot or if you're out of town on election day, uh, if you have religious beliefs uh, that may prevent you from performing activities like voting, or if you are doing uh, an activity like working the polls on election day or working as an election official, uh, or if you have physical disabilities that prevent you from voting in person, all of these reasons are valid under Connecticut state law uh, to get an absentee ballot. And uh, you can apply now for an absentee ballot. It will be sent to you. uh, They started getting sent out 31 days before the election. So they just started getting sent out uh, just a few days prior to us recording this. But if it's within uh, 31 days, you'll get it as soon as the local registrar can send it out. Uh, you You can either mail it back in. It has to. What is important is that it has to be at City Hall by election day. Uh, Another option is a lot of towns have ballot boxes uh, right outside their city hall where you can go and just drop your absentee ballot in there. Uh, So they're really, they've made it a little easier to vote by absentee, uh, but not necessarily uh, as easy as we would like it to be. However, there are still ways that if you think you're going to be out of town, if you are working on election, if you are not feeling well uh, a week before the election, you think you might come down with COVID, by all means, apply, get that absentee ballot, drop it in the ballot box. You know, if you can't do it, have a loved one drop it in the ballot box, someone you trust. Uh, so that way your vote counts and that we can ensure that it's not going to arrive at City Hall the day after Election Day and therefore can't be counted. You know, that's the last thing we would want. So it's really important that every ballot is returned by November 8th on Election Day so that way it can be counted by the registrars and the elected election officials. 
Right, and you are allowed to request an absentee ballot, and if you're feeling fine, you you can go to the polls. You don't yeah. have to you don't have to use the ballot. It's it, it's it's there if you need it, but you, you're always free to go to the polls. The 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 AB does not bind you to using it. Yeah, you can apply for an absentee ballot, receive it, not fill it out, and still go vote in person. The only time uh, that you would not be able to vote in person is if you have actually submitted your absentee ballot back to the registrar, back to City Hall. Uh, then you you would not be allowed to go vote in person. You would uh, essentially be casting two ballots for one election, which is illegal. Uh, so it's really important uh, that if you do get an absentee ballot and you don't fill it out, that you remember to still go to the polls that day. Right. But if you do send it back, stay out of the stay away from the polls. Do not go near the polls. Yes. 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 And, and the, uh, um, the city clerks do do cross checks, and so yes. they, they they will see if you voted more than once. Now, um, as a union, we talk a lot about how your voice is your vote. Uh, why is it important for union members to vote on November eighth, but also talk to their family, friends, and coworkers about voting? I, I can take that one. Thank you. Um, it's important for union members to vote um, because we, especially state employees like I am. Um, we have a say in who our boss is, you know, the governor. Uh, that's very important. Um, it's also uh, important uh, to um, set an example. You know, uh, it's just like paying your taxes. It's a civic uh, responsibility. Uh, it, it's a privilege to vote, and um, and and a lot of people have fought and died for uh, the right to vote, and we have to uphold that. And um, we also have to, you know, keep in mind as we've spoke spoken to here today, is that we want uh, candidates at all levels of government, town, municipal, state, federal, and in the governor's office to uphold pay, pension, health care, uh, retirement security for all, and a real say in the workplace for all workers. Um, so it's important that we all do our part, and, and doing our part is getting registered to vote and then actually going out and voting. I, I, I myself am I'm proud to say I have never missed an election. Um, the, when I went overseas in 2002 on a European vacation, it was over an election cycle, I did an absentee ballot. Um, I, I had the privilege uh, when my mother prior, about a year prior, before her death, um, I had the privilege of obtaining an absentee ballot through the mail for her to fill out and, and she got to vote for Hillary Clinton for president, which was a, a big deal for my mother, uh, never thinking she would live long enough to even see a woman run for president or be nominated for a major political party to president. So um, it's very important to get out and vote so your voice can be heard. And you know, for members that, that don't vote, they're, they're silencing themselves. You know, they're silencing uh, their their say. And, and, and like I say, on the governor level, uh, you know, who your boss is on the state employee level, uh, town and municipal, it, it's important to get out and vote in all elections because they're electing their, their mayor or their first electman or their town manager. So um, it, it just is very, very important. Yeah, I always like to remind members that um, the corporate, conservative, anti-union uh forces that are out there all of them vote the, the people that believe that they all vote they're all coming out to vote because they uh truly believe in wanting to see unions uh be diminished wanting to see workers have fewer rights yes. so when union members don't vote they're empowering uh the same people who want to take away our rights rather than saying okay you vote i vote you vote i vote because there's more of us than there are of them and if all of us vote 
we're going to get a pro-worker majority. We're going to get a pro-union government yes. and be able to do some great things and build on some of the successes we've recently had over the last few years. Uh, so it's really, really critical uh, to not take any election for granted or to think, oh, this guy will win. It's not important to vote or even... I might not like this guy today, therefore I'm not going to vote because it's important. Your pay, your pension, your health care, your working conditions, that's what's on the ballot this November. That's what we have to remember. You're voting for yourself. You're voting for your own self-interest. Yes. We're just in, and the only way we do that is by finding candidates who will back us up and by making sure that they hold elected office. And that's important in every district across this state and in every district that's on the ballot this year. Uh, because like I said before, we know what happens if we get this wrong. Yeah. You know, right, Steve? We've you seen know, examples. We've seen, we've seen examples. Yeah. The last uh, legislative session prior to this one that concluded, like Zach said, um, we had a tied Senate, uh, 18 to 18, and, and we got some things that were, you know, uh, anti-union that got that got through. Fortunately, we had a Speaker of the House that prevented a lot of anti-union legislation from even being called, uh, former Speaker Joe Arasimowitz. But um, nonetheless, like Zach mentioned, with the union contracts, uh, we got changes there that both chambers had to ratify them. Uh, and uh, all of them, all 35 state employee contracts were up, you know, for a vote. Uh, and, and so, you know, things like that, when you, when you don't get out and get out the vote and get out to vote, um, you get um, those type of results uh, where we almost lost the Senate. It was tied, but we almost lost it. And, um, you know, to, to add on to what Zach is saying, the candidates that we endorse, it's not a zero-sum game. You know, rare is there, rarely is there a candidate you're going to agree 100% of the time with. However, when you look at a candidate's stances on things like project labor agreements, on things like prevailing wage, on uh, things like um, expanding the state employee health care to allow municipal employees and, and others to come in to make the health care plan better and more inclusive. And, and then you look at those who don't support that and would want to hurt unions and diminish unions and get rid of unions. We're the last bastion of the middle class. That is very important to, to remember when voting. So that, that's something I also explain to members to motivate them to A, register, and B, go out and vote. Yeah. Thank you very much, Steve, for your comments. And I'd like to thank our guests, Zach Levy, Council for Legislative and Political Director, and Steve Werbicki, Chair of Council for's People Committee. You can go to our website for election info and resources all in one spot, www.councilnumeral4.org backslash C numeral four dash votes, V-O-T-E-S dash 2020. I'm Lauren Tacoris, and you have been Unplugged.